0: Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. And this is Chris. And I'm Jen. This is Adam. And today, instead of talking about a game that we just finished playing, we're going to take a look at the top five games that we want to play this coming year that we haven't had a chance to yet. We're also going to take a look back one year ago because we recorded an episode where we looked at the top five games we wanted to play then, so we're going to take a quick look at that list and uh, talk about whether we got a chance to play them, what we thought about them. And, uh, and then we'll jump in with this year's list. So let's just jump right in. Uh, this year,
1: did you guys have any trouble making this list? Or did you have a, a big list of games that you wanted to play? My list this year has was a little bit tough since I just did it in the last 15 minutes. That's not necessarily true. I was thinking about this for the last week. And there's a few, the last few, I did come up with in the last like 10 minutes. And I'm totally cheating here. I'm leaving one spot open for my favorite game. That one of you mentions and then that's going to be added to my list. <laughs> so, you, so so you there's not a lot on your radar that you've been wanting to play then, Adam, huh? That's very true. There's nothing I'm super eager and chomping at the bit. I think that's the right cliche.
0: You know, it's interesting. I was kind of the same way. There are games that have been on my radar for a while that I was interested in. So some of those made my list today. I left off the games that I was most excited about because I put most of those on Christmas lists to, to family members and I'm expecting to get some of those this weekend. so I didn't want to put those easy targets on there so the games that are on my list are ones that are going to be a little bit more of a stretch for me to get out and get played this year yeah it wasn't like you know last year when we made this list i was like really excited about a few games that i just couldn't wait to play and this year i don't know i'm just a little less uh motivated about what we played so many great games this year
1: sometimes i just want to go back and play some of those i think All right totally what about you jane and your expanding world of gamerhood
2: Thanks for asking, Adam. And I will say that listening to your answer was awesome. The fact that you are leaving one spot open for one of our games is totally you. Like, you are game to play a game. And I like that. And that is like the warm fuzzy about playing a game with Adam. So thank you. And Tim, I truly do hope that you get your entire Christmas list and that Santa is extremely good to you and you get every game that you want. Uh, That being said, my list this year was a little bit harder because I feel like. I've played, again, so many games this year, so I didn't feel like there was stuff that was was hanging over the edge. And then Tim just forces them on me too, so that's a big deal, is that new games are forced upon me on a regular (laughs) basis. Also, at 6 o'clock this morning, I realized that I had a four... I was like, yeah, last night when you guys asked, like, is your, is your list done? I was like, sweet, yeah, I totally did it. Like, it was no problem. And then around 6 o'clock this morning, I realized that my list was a solid four games <laughs> and not five. And so I had to sit there and think this morning because that last spot... I think it was the same last year, was really hard to fill.
1: That's the one you saved for (laughs) someone else's game that sounds fun to you.
3: Oh, that's why you did that. (laughs) Use all my lazy person tricks, yeah. I love it. Mine was uh, relatively easy to do, and it was actually a lot more fun doing it this year. I think last year I was still in that early phase of my gamerhood where I just kind of wanted to play the same things over and over again. You know, once I got a game and I understood how to play it. I just wanted to keep playing it like Tim and I started playing tapestry back when I was living in California and like all I want to play is tapestry or you know the games that I know and to try to get better at them and I think it's sort of a normal progression when you're playing these games to start getting interested and more curious about other games that you haven't yet played and not wanting to play the same things over and over again and I've gotten to the point now where I'm thrilled to play a new game every time we try something new for game night and it's not kind of a drag and like a, you know, I wish we were playing something I already knew how to play. And so it was a lot of fun going in. And I, I went through some things that I had seen in the past and kind of had an inkling they might be interested in. I looked through the BGG hotness and the, the top 100. Just it, it was a great opportunity to look out there and not just see things that I already knew I wanted to play, but to find some new things. That are ideas for, you know, maybe future episodes or just things I might want to check out that I may not have ever even heard of before. So I had a lot of fun doing this list.
0: Nice. So, well, why don't we jump in and Chris, you were uh, you started the list off last year. So with last year's list, the, the number five game that you wanted to play was Godspeed. So have you had a chance to play it this year?
3: Yeah, that was actually a great example of my (laughs) kind of lazy list last year, which was mostly games that I was already familiar with or had coming on Kickstarter. And that's one that I had, I owned, but I had not had a chance to play yet because it was COVID and we weren't playing in person. And I was on the road at that point when that game came in and I was traveling. And we actually played it online. I think it was, I think it must have been January or February of this year because I remember I was in tennessee at the time i can remember all these games by where i was good call we played it on january 25th last year was episode 24 no okay and and i had a really good time with it it was a good medium weight quasi euro with some space theme to it It reminded me a tiny bit of artemis project just one of the games that you had had and i think now we've actually played it twice on game night and i've enjoyed it both times i think it's a fun game cool
2: I loved when you said on that one when the back and forth between you and Tim when you talked about it because Tim had said like a midweight euro that's really unusual for you, Chris, and your response was taught me the error of my ways. So Tim taught you the error of your ways on midweight euros, which of course fall right in my back pocket. So I don't know. Tim, a-
3: Tim teaches me the error of my ways every week. <laughs> It's part of the Charm of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also really excited to
0: see Chris's list this year, because I'm expecting to see more midweight Euros on the list this year. Chris's tastes seem to have been changing over the last year, and and Godspeed was a good uh, precursor to that, I think. Indeed. All right, well, Jen, uh, your number five last year was Rajas of the Ganges, because we had just recently played the Dice version, Rajas of the Ganges, the Dice Charmers, and you're like, hey, I'm interested in trying that. So we did get to try this. On episode 31, we played it in, in March of last year. What what did you think of Raja's of the Ganges when you got a chance to play it?
2: I would love to hear what I said on that podcast, but my body right now rem- remembers it as like a painful experience. Like there was way too much going on for me in that game. And after loving the Dice Charmers so incredibly much, I remember it being a letdown. So I am curious if it was just the online component or what it was, but I remember being like, I can't wait for this to be over now but i'd be curious to listen to the episode and see what i actually said
1: yeah
0: i think your review on it was pretty bad you and adam both didn't uh didn't love it very much i on the other hand did love it and i've had a chance to play it since that review the physical version of it and i still love it i'm one of my favorite worker placement games so it's a shame you didn't like it because i would have loved to uh have it in our rotation so my number five last year i was uh res arcana which was a game I hadn't had a chance to play yet. Since then, I've played it on Board Game Arena quite a bit. In fact, uh, Adam, you, me, and uh, Jeff Milton just finished up a game yesterday on it where Jeff absolutely crushed us. But uh, yeah, I really like this game. It's an interesting little game because it is feels very solo for the most part, and the turns you're taking are very minimal. Like, half the time, you, all you're doing is you're just taking an action that gives you one resource or something. So it feels like small turns, but I think in person, playing face-to-face, it'd go really quickly. I do this, you do this, I do this, you do this. And I just love putting together the puzzle of the little handful of cards that you have that's unique to you, that game, and trying to find the best way to optimize it and get the right resources out of it to get the points. So I still love this game. I actually asked for this for Christmas this year. So we'll see. I might have a physical copy of this pretty soon. And also I asked for the expansion to it, which I haven't had a chance to play yet and would
1: love to see what that adds to the game. what do you think of two versus three players on? Yeah, so two
0: is going to go quicker. And because it's such microtransactions, I think that's probably the best way to play but it was kind of fun to see you know the extra those places of power the big high point buildings in the middle those went fast in a three-player game so there's definitely more competition for those and that, that was you know that was an interesting change
1: what do you think i had fun playing this game it's nice little engine builders and it's just quick and simple and not too much gets in the way and you just get right to doing your thing this game was cool i really enjoyed this one i'm gonna play more Cool.
0: All right, Adam, your number five last year was Fossilus. And we have talked about uh, your plays of this on a couple episodes, although we didn't play it for the podcast. But how did Fossilus stand out to your expectations?
1: Well, Fossilus kind of mixed emotions on this one. I love the components. I love the clackiness of the big old chunky tiles and the little tweezers you go in and extract a bone or a hammer or whatever. And you're kind of like on an archaeological dig site. And so that part of it is really fun. The gameplay itself, though, was a little felt a little bit flat. So this game might be leaving the collection unless it uh, sparks some joy or some interest from like Finley or if Sarah gets interested in it. That's where I'm sitting with Fossilus. I've played it maybe two or three times to kind of work out how the game plays and the mechanisms. And that's where I sit with it.
3: Chris, have you? I know you have this one. Have you played it anymore? What are your thoughts on Fossilus? Yeah, I've played this a couple times. And the first was with Tim when he was out here for a game weekend. And then since then, I've played it with my son and my son and my wife. And my son enjoys it. Uh, My wife, not so thrilled with it. I think she felt the same way that you did, Adam, that it felt a little bit flat in the gameplay. It's definitely not a, it's not a game night, you bust down the walls kind of game. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty midway. It's pretty simple, which I think makes it family friendly. But like you said, you know, the components are absolutely top notch. I feel like this game also had a lot to live up to because this thing came up in like probably seven different episodes of ours. How many lists did this thing make? Right. So yeah, you know, maybe the expectation was was pretty high on it
0: yeah all right sounds good uh chris your number four circling background to you was cthulhu wars duel which had just been announced last year when we made this list so have you had a chance to play cthulhu wars duel i
3: never did and this is another example of my lazy list it's a game that i already played cthulhu wars well cthulhu wars duel is out well better add that one to the list I didn't. And part of the reason for that, honestly, is I've gotten really frustrated with Peterson games because of some of their Kickstarters. And I've got the second Kickstarter I ever backed was a Peterson game. This is like two years ago. And still, you're nowhere in sight to actually getting those games into the show. And yeah, Adam's making big thumbs down. You know, he's sitting in the same boat I am with that one. So I know it has nothing to do with gameplay. Cthulhu Wars is complex enough that it's hard to get on the table with regularity. And just beyond that, you know, I see the name Peterson Games, and I'm kind of like, nah, not that interested anymore. So you're not you're still not searching this one out. Uh, I'm not you're, searching this yeah. one out. I'm probably won't, will probably will not end up playing this. Uh, John, your number four
0: last year was Whistle Stop, and you highlighted the reason for that was because we had just played Whistle Mountain, which was kind of a companion game to it, and enjoyed that. So did you get a chance to play Whistle Stop this year?
2: I did. Happy birthday to me, Tim and Danielle got that one for my birthday, so we did play it once. Yeah. Yeah, so the game that I got for my birthday, we played once on my birthday in Flagstaff, Arizona on our nice little vacay and that was it for me. We have brought it over to my house. We've brought it back to your house. We brought it over to my house and I think then back to your house again. It now lives at your house. And it's on the, are we going to sell this sucker list?
0: Yeah, I, I'd like to try it again. I don't think it was, it's not like a, a game that blew me away, but it was a fun little, you know, different puzzle. But I'm not surprised it hasn't gotten me super excited. It was an okay game, but not a great game. I think there's better kind of mid-weight games of that weight. I'd love to play it again just to give it one more shot. But, you know, I put it on the table on Sunday when we got together to play games and, nobody asked for it. So, you know, who knows if that'll get played again.
3: It's been a while since I listened to that episode where you guys talked about it, but I seem to recall there being a lot more enthusiasm about this game back when you first played it. Well, if I talked about it once, um, just kind of an on-the-table
0: segment, and I did like it. You know, it was a fun game, but, you know, again, it wasn't a favorite game. I would have, if it was just up to me, it would have been played a few more times this year at least. But Jen and Danielle just haven't gotten that, you know, haven't been that motivated. They want to go back to some games we've been playing already, so who knows if that'll get back on the table. And it's okay, Jen. You don't have to like my my gifts to you. It's totally (laughs) fine. My number four was Obsession which we did do a podcast episode on and did a full review of Obsession back on episode 48 in July. I was glad I got a chance to play it. It didn't quite meet my expectations. So uh, not a game that I loved, but a game that I did like. Chris, I know you recently got a copy of this uh, delivered to you because you enjoyed it quite a bit. How has it held up for you after playing it in person a couple of times since our review?
3: It's held up pretty well. I mean, I think it's a game and and even when I got it, I knew it was going to be a game that's only going to withstand so many plays because it's, you know, A big part of it is the theme that makes it fun and it's the gameplay is relatively simple but i think it's well worth it what gave me a real kick was going back and hearing um, adam talking about this on our episode i I think to quote You just made me vomit a little bit in my mouth and I think I said something probably equally flattering and then sure enough We (laughs) played the game and I ended up buying it. So, you know, what can I say? Yeah
0: Yeah, that's what just cracked me up You were just saying well the theme is where this
3: game really shines and I don't think you were too hot on the theme when I first told You about it. No, I was I was wrong again And by the way, let me let me just also add going back to whistle stop for just one second This is the only place in the world where you can be okay with having somebody announce on air that they're going to sell the birthday gift that you gave them so i think that's pretty cool
2: not only that but he's gonna probably sell it for me let's be honest
3: <laughs> i gotta do all the work yeah that's right.
2: <laughs> but i so let's go by obsession i did i wrote that down too and i was listening to it it says it says chris will never play this that's what tim <laughs> says based on the theme and then adam says the theme just made me puke in my mouth a little bit and then later on he goes but i would still like dress up and play and he so. did too by
0: the way adam dressed up for that show is awesome he was wearing like a little top you were wearing like a top hat or something i had right? like, like a little i was
1: trying to do like sherlock holmes oh you had the popped collar, pop collar collar and tie, tie and, and everything and stupid hair yeah yeah that was great it was that pretty was awesome. awesome all right cool well uh adam
0: your number four was Ziya legends of a drift system have you gotten a chance to play this in the last year
1: i have not i have opened the box a few times like the components and played with them and played a little Awesome looking spaceships, and imagine what it would be like to play this game and have fun with all my friends. But no, sadly, I haven't gotten this one to the table. I don't know if I ever will. It's a sandboxy 4X, if you don't know it, and you're just kind of a, a space pirate. You can smuggle some cargo if you want to. You can try to jump through a planetary force field and maybe ex- have your ship explode. You can jump into an unexplored star, uh, star system and maybe crash into a, a sun, crash into a star. You can raid a merchant ship and get all the, the booty you can upgrade your ship have more cargo capacity you can arm your ship you can do so much stuff in this game but i still don't know how it actually all plays out do you still want to play it i think if i get with the right group that has some interest in it and they say oh you have zia let's do it and i'd be like what you want to play this game too let's do it yeah so it's still sitting there it looks amazing i do
0: still want to try this one because you brought that one out when you came out to visit and we did like a gaming weekend and then you also brought it to tim Con. And it never it was never one of your picks for either of the weekends. So, it.
1: yeah, I feel like it needs, you know, a little bit of interest from others, too, because there is a lot going on and there is kind of a time commitment required to play this one, too. So I'm not going to force it uh, on anyone, but I'll, I'll keep bringing it until people look at it enough and maybe are like, well, that's fun to <laughs> give that one a try. All right,
0: sounds good. Yeah, so Chris, your number three last year was Dwellings of Eldervale, and we actually had a chance to review this one on our podcast last year, episode 21, back in, it was our first review of last year, in in January, actually. So you've had a couple plays of this, Chris. What do you think of Dwellings of Eldervale?
3: I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I don't think my, my impression of it changed after the first review that we did of it, and subsequently, you and I played a game another you know kind of timeline point here for me on my travels when we we stopped in phoenix and it was the first in person board game i'd played with somebody other than my wife in probably you know many 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 months so that was kind of cool it also gave me an opportunity to touch those big cool minis before you finally ended up selling the game
2: did you no chris you said that you thought that maybe the components were dropped by angels do you feel like that after playing it was an accurate description of the anticipation
3: i think that the production was absolutely amazing including your pal kevin
2: i miss kevin it
3: was everything that i'd hoped it would be in that sense but you know the gameplay after the first play i thought it was fun but it didn't blow me away and it was the same in the second play the production was awesome i think just the production alone would have made it impossible for me to sell it but you know i i have a different view of those things than tim does
0: all right cool well john your number three was pan am have you had a chance to play pan am yet Nope. Do you still want to?
2: Yes. That's actually. This is actually one of the ones that that if I, when I look at my list from last year, I'm like, oh man, like everyone was just kind of like, it's a peppy little game and it's really enjoyable and it's not too heavy and why haven't we played it yet? That's yeah. how I feel about it.
0: This is a game that, you know, you can find on the Target shelf half the time for like 20 bucks or 25 bucks. You know, I see it all the time and I'm so tempted to pick it up regularly because it is a fun, it's a fun little game. I just don't think I'm going to be asking for it over a lot of other stuff in my collection. But I'd be interested to see if you and Danielle really hit with it, Jen, and it keeps making it back. So maybe you should pick it up and then we'll... We'll all try it together sometime.
2: <laughs> you got it.
0: All right. My number three was Manhattan Project Energy Empire. That kind of came on my radar because it's designed by Luke Laurie, who designed Dwellings of Eldervale and Whistle Mountain, which were two games that I was excited about at that time last year. My interest has pretty much dropped off for this. I'd still be happy to play it at some point, but uh, you know, I'm just I'm a little tired of worker placement unless it does something really unique and I don't expect this is gonna do anything that unique. So I'm um, not gonna be searching this out anymore but we'd be happy to play it if I got the opportunity at some point. So Adam, your number three was Canvas. I know you've played this because I've played it with you. What do you think of Canvas since you've had a chance to try
1: it? I enjoy Canvas. It's beautiful. It's pretty chill. You're making these little pieces of art. I really like it. I've played it with Sarah a few times, and it's pleasant. I, don't, I haven't gone back to it in a while. There's expansion coming out. Maybe that'll up the market with a few different little mechanisms in there. This one's fun. It's fine. It's staying in my collection.
3: You guys inspired me with this one. I actually ordered it on the reprint that they did with the expansion piece. I didn't get the expansion, but I just got the base game because you guys talked so highly of it. I, I'm excited to try it.
0: Yeah, it's a fun game. I think you and Rachel will probably like it a lot, Chris. All right, so Chris and Adam, your number twos were the same here, so I'm just going to group these in together. You both were interested in playing Imperium the Contention. Adam, at the time, you had backed it on Kickstarter but hadn't received it yet, so you've since received it. Um, what do you guys think of Imperium, and and have you had a chance to play it? And
2: well, I do before Adam jumps in there, one of the neat things about that part of his wish list was that it hadn't gotten there yet. And he's like, it's on a boat somewhere, right? And, you know, however long it takes to get here is when it's going to get here. And for shipping organization, there's probably a lot of stuff to that. They should probably make a board game out of that. And I thought to myself, as I'm listening to Adam go on about this comedically at the time, like... They've made a life about that, like that's our whole story of everything with the supply chain that's going on. So, like Adam's a little bit psychic. Adam in the, getting this this game to his doorstep was literally a psychic uh, revelation of today.
0: There is a board game about that, by the way. It's called Container, Container I think, yeah. and it sounds like a dry economic game that I have no interest in playing at all. But uh, it's it's a fairly popular logistics game. So.
2: Well, they probably have an expansion coming out in 2022, like container. Yeah. Like this shit is real. So <laughs> <There> you, <go. laughs> you can bleep, you can bleep that out.
3: Hey, well, Adam, why don't you lead on this one because you actually have the game and I know you have played it. So talk about it for a second, then I'll chime in because I haven't.
1: Right. So Imperium Contention, Gary Doretsky, Contention Games. It's it's a pretty amazing game. It's a, it's a little 4x card game. Played it with Sarah. This is the only time I haven't played it solo. So we. It's a little pre-constructed decks or you can construct your own little decks you're playing these cards out to move your ships to fight the other guy's ships and then kind of capture enough territories or destroy their home base and then you win you can play it it's supposed to play best at four players you can play up to five or six players too so i've had a lot of fun with this one and worked my way through the the campaign solo also had a lot of fun chris what are you thinking now these days on appearing the contingent still interested in playing it or is it kind of waned a little bit
3: yeah, I'd still love to play the game. I the thing that got me, I mean you you described the gameplay and it sounded like a lot of fun, but I think the thing that really hooked me when we were talking about this one on our episode or you know, getting ready for that episode, was just how cool the art looked. I mean, the art in this thing is amazing. The team of artists did such a great job and when are we going to get this out i mean how come how come we didn't play this at TimCon? i was going to say that's what surprised me because i was sitting on
1: that
0: big pile of games at TimCon, and neither of you asked for it and i was kind of surprised by that it's a shame we didn't get the chance then there's too many games to play though all right so jen your number two was pandemic
1: have you had a chance to play pandemic
2: no no one will play pandemic with me
1: inappropriate jen come on <laughs> yeah you don't have to you don't have to play that game you can just watch it on the news
2: I do, yeah, there's no need to play the game. The game is being played out again. And just like the container situation with Adam and Chris's game. This is actually being being played out. So
0: Are you still excited to play it?
2: You know what? I'm not sure because we have done cooperative games are not my thing. And it turns out they're not my son's thing either, even after he had some initial interest in it. And so that, you know, we got Forbidden Desert. We gave it back to a friend. We got Forbidden Island or Sky or something. And that's going to be on the sell shelf here soon. And so I think that... This probably isn't something that's interesting to me. What I did like about that is somehow that review last year, we ended up talking about Will Wheaton. Like he was on some page of the pandemic thing, mm. maybe the target page or whatever. And so we did ask him to come play a game. So I think that in some way, shape or form, we should figure out if Will Wheaton will come play it with us, then we should still commit to playing that game. And then if he does come play a game with us, apparently... He's supposed to teach Adam curling. So that's on the list, too, for this year of things that we need to follow up with that didn't happen.
3: I think we concluded that Will Wheaton was some kind of cosmic nexus where he's involved in some way with pretty much everything. Well, I'm glad that uh, I will not have to play Pandemic with you now, Jen. Yeah. And I
0: was going to say probably the best way to get a play would be buy it and play it with your son. But if that doesn't if it doesn't sound appealing anymore, then don't worry about it. Think Games have moved on. You're fine. All right. My number two was Concordia, and this is a game that we did get a chance to play and review. We reviewed it on episode 35 back in April of last year. So Adam, you played it with me and Steve. I think it's a really great game. Had a lot of fun with it. And don't mind if I don't ever go back to it. It's very dry. Uh, The theme was not exciting at all, but it was very clever. So I'd be happy to play it with somebody.
1: What what do you think, Adam? Yeah, I totally agree. I had that same feeling with it. It was interesting, but not something I go back to. Yeah.
0: Why do okay. those
2: white border cards bother you so much?
1: They
0: just feel so outdated. You know what I think it actually is? I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show. I think it's because back in the days when Magic the Gathering, you when you would get a base set, which I was big into the hobby for a while, right? And they would be black bordered cards. They look beautiful. So if they ever reprinted cards, they were white bordered to show that they weren't as collectible playing with those just always they just grossed me out like they they just looked ugly they looked cheap and so now that's carried over I think that's what it is but it does it's just like any game that prints those it feels outdated it has like an outdated that's how all game cards used to be printed 10 years ago. So now when you see it today, it's it just feels old, old-fashioned. So jumping down to our number ones uh, of last year. So Chris, your number one last year was Disney Villainous. I know you've had a chance to play it because I have played it with you. What do you think of Disney Vill- Villainous at this point? All
3: right, Disney Villainous. You guys ready for a hot take? Mm. Let's do it. It was fun. Well, that score chance. <laughs> just kidding. No, it was it was a lot of fun. Tim and I played it. I played it a few times with my family, and it's a fun game. It's not it's nothing too exciting, but it, it didn't expect it to be. And I think Tim really summed it up when he talked about this in our Portland Game weekend episode, is that it's a game that was way better than it could have been or than it should have been. This should have been just A cheap, crappy money grab with Disney intellectual property where they put a bunch of chits out there and screen captures from movies. But instead, this game is really pretty. The components are really nice. There's these very stylized, beautiful figures that you represent sort of abstractly each of the characters that are involved in the game. The cards are really kind of engaging original art. And I really like that and it's endlessly expandable because all you have to do is have a new Disney movie with a new villain and you've got a new character that you can throw into the mix on this one. And because every character is uh, every person plays basically almost their own game, it's very you know asymmetrical, then you can really mix and match any characters that, that you want to play with. So it, it was a lot of fun. It's not one that I pull out all the time, but it's definitely one that has a place in my collection. I won't be getting rid of it. I may even expand it once or twice with some more characters, but uh, it it lived up to my expectations of it.
0: Very nice. nice. So Jen, your number one last year was Castles of Tuscany. Have you had a chance to play that yet?
2: No, I have not. And I, I don't have any desire for that one. I don't know why. Maybe I read the reviews and they sounded icky. And we also introduced a new Steffenfeld this year, Carpe Diem, which I did not enjoy so much on the first play. I think the first play, honestly, was probably online, but since then it fell into your collection and I know that I, especially in the last couple of months, have requested it quite a bit and I really, I really like Carpe Diem a lot. So I just don't have the desire to pull out that Steffenfeld and I don't know why. You've never even introduced it and I don't know why.
0: Yeah, I would say hold your expectations on that. I think we'll have a chance to play it soon. We'll, we'll give it a shot. I'd like to play it, so we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll circle back to this. I think Let's it's going it. to be a little lighter weight, um, probably more Carpe Diem weight than it is than Castle of Burgundy. So I think it'll be easy to get to the table. Let's yeah. give it a shot. We'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. My number one was another Steffenfeld Feld game, and that was Trajan. This is the one game on my list that I have not gotten a chance to play this year still, but it's still top of my list. If I was going to reuse any games from last year on this year's list, Trajan would still make the list because I'm still very excited to try it. I have met someone local here in Arizona who owns every Steffen Feld game, and he's committed to playing it with me. So I'm hoping to get it played in the coming months, and I'll keep you guys updated if I have a chance to. So that was my number one. Adam, your number one last year was Dune Imperium, and I remember it was kind of a cheat because you'd already played it once uh like solo or in person but you were just excited to get it played with us have you had a chance to play Dune imperium since then
1: indeed i have tim many times and you've been involved in many of those plays and i absolutely love this game i can't wait to play it more it gets me ex- excited every time i think about it every time it's it's just a great game the expansion's coming out now too and that's going to add a lot more dynamics to it so doing imperium one of my most favorite games of ever Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, we actually, uh, I think a week after this last episode
0: or two weeks later, we recorded our uh, episode on it. That was episode number 20 back in, was released back in January 4th last year. And yeah, this was a, this is a fantastic game. I, I, this is another one I had on the table this week. I tried to convince Jen and Danielle to play it with me, but they, they did not. What Uh, They've never played it. So they hate learning new games, but they did. My wife did request uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak, which I was super excited about. I can't complain about that at all as an alternative but i'm hoping that Dune Imperium makes it into my family's rotation in the near future
3: man wouldn't that be something i know that'd be amazing
0: all right cool well that was our list from last year we did a pretty good job of getting through most of these games so it will be interesting to uh see how this year's list goes and if we're able to get to some of these all right let's just jump right in okay so we'll just go in the same order so chris why don't you start us off what is your number five most desired game
3: this year My number five game is Azul by Michael Kiesling and published by Next Move Games and Plan B Games. And the reason for that is largely because you guys have said so much about it. I've heard so many good things. I know you guys play it quite a bit. It's abstract, but it's pretty and it has a nice production. and. You know, I have to admit, a big part of it is also because it's available on Board Game Arena, which is a relatively recent discovery for me. I had not been playing it. I I probably came late to the game on that one, so to speak. The fact that it's on there, and I'll play pretty much anything on Board Game Arena, and this one's there, and I also I kind of feel left out. It's like everybody's on there playing it. I'm like, I don't even know how to play that game. So I probably need to learn, and I probably need to try it. And the fact that it's you know way up there on BGG's you know top 100 list. Probably doesn't hurt either, but I figure at this point, how can I how can I not be playing Azul?
2: Oh Chris, I cannot wait to play Azul with you. Even though it was one of the first games I ever played and Tim taught us incorrectly. It is so much fun to play that game and in the last week playing it with the game or the game instructions correctly it's like a whole almost a whole different game now so it's so neat and new to us and all the way down to my kids play yesterday I was playing with my eight-year-old and she killed me so (laughs) And I mean, legit killed me. So right. it's, oh gosh, I cannot wait for you to experience it. That's, I didn't know you hadn't done that yet. And that makes me feel like so excited for you.
3: No, great. I can't wait to play it. And I'm, I'm just sorry that they don't have like a little drop down where you can select the Tim rules, but you know, <laughs> they haven't gone to that yet. That'll be in the expansion.
2: Yeah. We have to play in person to play by the Tim rules incorrectly <laughs> for years at a time.
3: <laughs> All right.
0: So what's your number five this year?
2: My number five is Welcome To. You The buzz about this among my immediate gaming circle is insane. So I'm excited to get it on the table. And since Tim recently got it on his table, he actually was like, let's play it this week. And I was like, no, it's on my, I haven't played it yet. So we have to wait a couple more days to actually try it out. So Welcome To, designed by Benoit Turpin and published by Deepwater Games and Blue Cocker. It's basically, you're an architect and you want to build the best town in the United States in the 1950s by adding resources to a pool, hiring employees, and more, so it plays like a roll and write um, in which you you know mark your results on a score sheet but without dice, instead you flip the cards. I mean, if we look back, the concept of roll and write was introduced to me in Rajas of the Ganges the Dice Charmers and we did an episode on that one way back in the day. I think it was like in the teens, but Tim will be able to tell us exactly what episode that is. I loved it. It's uh, one of my favorite new finds for concepts even though obviously Yahtzee's been around forever. It remains a go-to a year and a half later I, we played again Raj's this weekend. So yeah, this is a flip and write, just not a roll and write. And it looks like it's just like light and fun and it looks pretty. And I like the concept of building something awesome and building a pool and you know deck those suckers out like in the 1950s because a pool would have been phenomenal back in the 1950s neighborhood i'm just like all in it sounds awesome let's do it
3: hey jen i feel the same way about this one with for you that you felt with azul for me because this game is so much fun i think this is and it's a great family game too you can play it with your kids I got a you know a 10-year-old that took me five minutes to teach it to him, and he was competitive in it. I think this is actually the first game that my wife has ever asked for without me first saying, hey, you want to play a game? Where she just came to me and said, hey, can we play a game of such and such? I think you're going to have such a fun time with it, especially if you already like the roll and write concept. is so much fun.
2: That's awesome. It sounds great.
3: Yeah, and I'd be willing to bet
0: that this is going to be the first of our games on today's list that get, that get checked off.
2: I, I think Christmas Eve. I think it will be our Christmas Eve game.
0: Exactly. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, my number five game of this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit because I'm gonna name two games. These are two older games that I want to play for the same reason. One of them is Tyrants of the Underdark. This was designed by Peter Lee, Rodney Thompson, and Andrew Veen, and this was published. I think it was originally a Wizards of the Coast game because they own the Dungeons and Dragons license, but Gale Force Nine is the current publisher of it. The, and I'm gonna the other game that I'm gonna fit into this grouping is the Quest for El Dorado, and this is a Reiner Knizia game. The reason why I want to play both of these games really badly is that I've always loved deck building as a mechanism, but where I found deck building to really shine for me is when it's combined with a board game with other mechanisms and clank was the first one that i played and many games in the clank series i've always enjoyed those but that kind of combination of mechanisms just got escalated this year between dune imperium and uh, lost ruins of arnak which use deck building and i just love the way you can engine build what actions you can take based on the deck building mechanism. So Tyrants of the Underdark is a Dungeons & Dragons themed game, but it's basically an area control game where you use deck building to upgrade the actions you can take and how you can move troops around the map. Great reviews on it. And one other fun thing about this, so Tyrants of the Underdark was designed, the, the, the lead designer was Peter Lee, who also designed Lords of Waterdeep. Which I think is one of the most streamlined and fun worker placement games still. But he is also, and he's not credited on most of these games, but he's also the lead designer for Prospero Hall. He was basically, I think, uh, recruited from Wizards of the Coast and was part of this design studio that is putting out all these great games for uh, licensed games from Funko. You know, so some of his lead designs were Pan Am. He also did a pretty popular game last year. What's the one about the monsters? Like the old. Horrified. Horrified Mm. was one of and i think he worked on disney villainous so because you know it's under the name of Prospero hall it's hard to tell how many of those games he worked on but everything i've seen him put his hands on he takes something he puts fun mechanisms but makes it very streamlined easy to teach so i think this is going to be an easy game to get into and fun quest for el dorado on the other hand is a reiner knizia game but it's it's a little bit more thematic than most of his really abstract games and that this is a deck building game that is basically a race and you're multiple archaeologists trying to make it from one side of this hex board to el dorado you know, the famous ancient city. And you do this by collecting tools and essentially different types of movements. So you have to try to get through these hexes that are different types of terrain, you know, mountains, lakes, hills, things like that. And so if, if you can play a card that lets you move through that particular terrain, you can move faster. So it's a little bit of a race game, I think kind of like Clank. And I've heard that compared frequently, but it's always sounded like fun to me. So I want to try both of these deck-building board games this year and see how they hold up compared to some of the more modern ones, but they both
1: sound like fun. Sounds great, Tim. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about Eldorado, so I'd be interested in trying that one as well. Sounds really cool. Right on. All right, cool. Adam, what's your number five? Number five is Cryo. This is a game by Luke Laurie, who we've talked about, Dwellings of Eldervale, and also Tom Jolly is one of the designers here too. He did Battle for Rokugan and a few other ones. He got some big-time games to his credit. I better look them up now that I said something about it. Manhattan Project. Tim, like you were talking about, Wiz War is the old school one he did. He's got some chops. This game looks amazing. It's um, a worker placement. You're crashing this spaceship on this icy planet. You're trying to survive. You're trying to get down deep into these tunnels so you can stay warm and not die. There's some worker placement, but high levels of interaction here too. And so this game just looks beautiful and engaging and fun. I've heard a lot of good things about it. That's Cryo. Hey, this, so this game has been
0: high on my list for a while. I would love to play it. In fact, I've, there's a local guy here that I haven't had a chance to play with, Board Game Sire, I think he is on Twitter, but he's a he's a reviewer also. And so him and I are planning to get together and play this sometime soon. Did this get on your radar? Because I think So Very Wrong just reviewed it on a recent episode. Did, did you listen to that?
1: Yeah, I did listen to that. And They had a lot of fun with it. It's been on my radar before that, just because okay. I know you're a Luke Lori fan and the art here looks amazing. Yep. The theme is pretty cool. So it's got a lot of, it checks a lot of boxes that have me interested.
3: Is the art the same folks who did Gaia Project? It kind of does have that feel, Chris. It does. That You say
1: that,
0: but no. See, I'm surprised you say that, Chris. To me, it's got more of a Godspeed feel. Like it's got mm-hmm. a little bit of that '50s style abstracted art. It doesn't feel like Gaia Project art at all to me. So that's interesting huh. that you have that interesting. comparison. I think you should see it in person. I, from what I've seen, it looks like it's going to be a beautiful production. Look really cool on the table. All right, cool. Well, that sounds like fun, uh, Chris. What is your number four
3: for this year? My number four this year is Rising Sun by Eric Lang and published by Simon Games. This is a game that I feel like I have to play because Blood Rage is one of my all-time favorite area control games. And Ankh, which is Eric Lang's most recent area control game, isn't my favorite, but I can I can see the brilliance in the games that he puts out. And he's one of my favorite designers, Marvel United notwithstanding. This is the middle game in his three-game series. Most people probably already know this, but I'll just kind of go through it a little bit anyway. The original was Blood Rage, which is this very streamlined, I think beautifully playing game. It has one of my favorite combat mechanisms of all time. And it feels to me like this was the the stripped down version just straight area control that was the first of the three big area control games that eric lang was doing as part of the series the second in 2018 was rising sun where he added some new mechanisms and then the third is Ankh in which there is some additional new stuff that was added on as well i think the thing that gives me a little bit of pause about rising sun which is about warring in an area control in feudal japan is that it adds an element that I'm not sure I'm gonna like in that it has negotiation and alliance building. I generally don't find that to be an attractive mechanism. And so this could be a great game and there's a lot of bona fides there that really kind of recommend it to me, but I'm still a little concerned that that's one that I, I won't love. Kind of the same way that I didn't love the combining forces at the end of Ankh, the two players at the bottom of the, the score track end up becoming one. I didn't love that so much. I might not love this one so much, but I feel like I kind of have to play it just so I've experienced the full full trilogy. Have any of you guys played this one before? I don't think any of us have. On that note about the Alliance building, Chris, I
1: think that's a very interesting subject in board games. And some do it a little more forcibly, like in Rising Sun or like in Ankh. And some have it more organically, like Pax Premier Second Edition or some of the other area control games where you have to just look around at the board and say, Hey Chris, we gotta we gotta work together here to keep Tim from running away with this one. So there's that kind of alliance building versus the the kind of forced mechanism. Classic Dune has that same thing. A worm comes mm-hmm. out and you guys want to make an alliance and try to win. So I think it's just a very interesting subject. And it's neat to see how different designers approach that whole alliance building system.
0: Yeah, Chris, I, I'm, I'm excited to see this on your list. I think this is a game that we should play and we'll have a lot of fun with. I will say what I've heard about the alliance building in this game is that it's very mechanical and very simple. And I'm not a big fan of... Of negotiation either because I'm terrible at it and so I know I'm going to come out on the short end of the stick but my understanding is that this is like a quick decision that gets made basically at the end of every round and you basically just say hey you and I would benefit this time we want to get together and, and do this alliance and that's all it is it's really quick and simple and if you break the alliance there's a minor cost that you have to pay Sounds like it's handled very well, very streamlined, so it may not even be a major piece. I remember early comparisons, people were saying, oh, this is going to be like a combination of Blood Rage and Diplomacy, because Diplomacy is all about alliance building. And then after reviewers played it, they're all like, don't ever mention Diplomacy in the same name as this game again, because it doesn't (laughs) truly have negotiation like that, so... I think that that part isn't going to be as big of a drawback as you're concerned about it, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays.
3: Yeah, and I would, I would love to love this game. The other one practical downside of this one is it is a minimum three players, which will limit my ability to get it on the table since I'm often playing games with two players. But yeah, if it's a great game, it might be worth the investment anyway. Yeah. All right, cool, John. What was your number four?
2: My next one is Coco Pelly by Stefan Fall. It's published by queen games and it's about indigenous peoples in the Southwest. And I'm not going to lie. It was almost impossible to find a decent description of this game online. Um, So if they need some marketing support, again, I'm totally available to help. I'm here. I'll leave my phone number in the comments below. I will not leave my phone number in the comments below, but basically it's a time of celebration and ceremonies are starting everywhere. And the thing that I like about the look of this game is that there is color all over the place on a Steffenfeld and we have talked about how many times we talked about there's a 17 colors of green on every Steffenfeld I've ever played. So I like the concept that it's in the Southwest. I like the concept that it's a little more active. I like the concept that um, it's hand management rather than tile placement and so I think that'll give me a little challenge and I'm just really curious to see how this plays because I think it'll be much more visually appealing than any other Steffenfeld we've ever put on the table.
1: Jin, aside from a strong sense of deja vu here for some reason I think this game looks pretty amazing too I'd be interested in trying this one too. Yeah, this is a new game
0: that uh, I've heard a lot of reviewers talk about recently. Sounds like a fun, lightish card game, and might be a good fit for us, Jen. One interesting fact about this is that you know Stefan Felder, he's from Germany, so he he visited the United States just a couple years ago, I think, for Gen Con, and while he was here, him and his wife took a tour around the United States, and one of the places they visited, I think, was New Mexico, and so Pelle was based off of his ideas that came out of that trip. So I thought that was kind of interesting.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting theme. I'm curious, like you know, again being from the Southwest, I moved here when I was four months old. I'm curious how many people know what a Cocopelli is, and so like, the concept of it being just a little bit different than everything that ends up somewhere over in Europe uh, with the style of game. I'm excited.
1: I don't know what a Cocopelli is. What is it, Jen?
2: It's a deity. I think it's like a fertility deity. Okay. I'd have to. I know, like it looks like a, a person of some sort, um, like uh, playing a playing a flute.
0: If you're ever in Arizona, you'll see these like de- wall decorations and it's the exact same style. It looks kind of like a cave drawing of, a, of you know, like she said, a, a guy dancing and playing a flute,
1: but you just mm-hmm. see them everywhere. People have them in their house. So it is that symbol that's on the box. That's a Cocoa Peli. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah, that's right. I was thrilled when you mentioned this, Jen, and I looked at the, I looked it up for the first time when you were talking about it because New Mexico is my happy place. And I mean, it may be common in Arizona, but you can't take two steps. of so tripping over a Cocoa Peli in Santa Fe, for example. And so I've got to try this one now. It's awesome. I'm gonna add that. To, so this is now my number two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my number four is a game called Rolling Realms. Uh, this
0: is a fairly new game. I think it came out earlier this year by Stonemeyer Games. Uh, Jamie Stegmeier is the designer on this. I've really been enjoying exploring some new roll and write games. I like the simplicity of the components and the setup and teardown and, the, and kind of the combo, combo-y nature that they seem to bring about. Uh, Welcome to an exception there. That's not really a combo game. Rolling realms seems to do the same thing. And it kind of, it has a little bit of a fun meta thing going in that essentially what you're doing is you're going to be playing with, everyone's going to have the same three matching realms, every game, but the realms are all based on previous Stonemire published games so you might be playing the Viticulture, Scythe, and Tapestry game. Jen, you're on mute, by the way, in case you're trying to talk to us.
2: I'm just silently reacting like, oh my goodness, that sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm <laughs> seeing all that. The game is, it looks like it's got that fun combo to it. You know, you're essentially rolling, everyone's rolling two dice that's shared in the middle of the table, and then you basically get to take one of those dice on one of the three realms you've got, and one of the dice on one of the other three realms, and mark it accordingly. Each of the realms is kind of a little sheet that's themed, related to the game, and so it has different scoring mechanisms and resource generation and it just looks like a fun game the only thing I don't really love about it is it the look of it is very dry it, it's essentially very abstracted versions of those realms on each of these cards which is fine probably makes it simple to play but that's kept me from getting super excited about it but the more I think about it I just I want to play it I want to give it a shot um, looks like it will scale really well play fairly quick and easy Um, So I think this is one I can get to the table with my local group pretty easily. There's also what looks to be a really fun solo mode of it. And they made it into kind of like a mini golf course, essentially. So the the solo mode is this sheet of paper that has these different mini golf obstacles. So each game you play, you're kind of getting through one of those obstacles. And I love the theming on that. That seems really fun to me. So yeah, Rolling round, that's my number four. That sounds pretty great,
1: Tim. It looks pretty cute. All right, Adam, what's your number four? My number four is a game called Barrage. And this game is designed by... And Chris was hinting at the slew of Italian designers. But this one is uh, Tommaso Battista and Simone Luciani. And the publishers Cranio Creations, among many, many others. This is a game where you are trying to interrupt the flow of water and corral it to make energy. And there's a lot of shared infrastructure here and player interaction. And the one thing I'm worried about with this game is that the weight is very high. 4.05 complexity rating on Board Game Geek. So are the rules going to be worth the what comes out of that? Is the learn going to be worth the gameplay? So interested in this one. I've heard a lot of good things, so I'd like to try Barrage. You guys looked at this one at all?
0: Yeah, in fact, Adam, this this was on my list. When I first started putting this list together, it was one of the first games that made it to my list because the way I started my list was I looked at the top 100 games of all time, looked at games that I hadn't played yet that I was still excited about, and this is up there. Um, it ended up getting knocked off, but I'm very excited to try this. The mechanisms sound really fascinating and fun to me.
3: So Adam, everything that Tim just said, exactly the same for me. I really? had it on my list. I ended up bumping it off for something else, so it's one of my honorable mentions. But I think we've found the game night. I think this one's going to have to get played soon. And I feel like I'm not going to look it up right now.
0: I feel like I heard it's either on Board Game Arena or Yucata or is going to be soon. So I'll check that out closer. So we hopefully don't have to struggle through playing it on Tabletop Simulator or something. But yeah, but we definitely need to get it played soon. Sounds like fun. All right, cool. Let's circle back around. Chris, what's your number three?
3: My number three is Nemesis, designed by Adam Kvapinski and published by Awaken Realms Games. This one is on here. I had mentioned it in, I think, a couple of episodes so far. This one comes from my newfound love of solo gaming and really appreciating how Awaken Realms handles those. Truly like a video game where you're jumping in with like big, crazy visuals, giant minis. It has the theme, basically, the it's, it's Alien, the movie Alien without the name Alien. It's a nemesis instead. It just looks like an amazing visual visual game. It seems like it'll be a lot of fun to play. And I've had it recommended to me on Twitter by a couple of our listeners who have said that it truly is as good as it sounds. And the only downside that I can see about this one is that like so many of Awakened Realms games, the storytelling is brilliant, but it comes with a lot of fussy little rules. And in reality, I think a lot of times those fussy little rules are are okay because they do kind of make you feel more like you're in the story to some degree and with solo gaming I'm less concerned than if I'm playing a game with other people where you know if I mess up a fussy rule then I screwed everything up and it's, it's all my fault but for this one I wouldn't be as worried about that and so this one's been on my list for a little while mentally and now I'm putting it on my list officially as one of my top five that I want to try to get played in this year.
0: I've probably had more requests for us to review this game than any other game in the last year. So, you know, what one thing I think would be interesting, Chris, would be if you get this and you play it solo so you learn and kind of smooth out all those rules. I wouldn't mind jumping in playing a game of this on Tabletop Simulator with our group. So, at least somebody there could kind of get us through those rough spots and we're not having to check the rule book all night long. So, I'd be I'd be happy to play this with you if we could get to that point. Yeah, that's a great idea. All right, cool. Uh Jen, what was your number 3?
2: All right, my number three is Viticulture. So that's a Stone and Stegmire game published by Stone Mayor Games. And uh, I know that you guys played this and you reviewed it almost a year ago, if not over a year ago, but I wasn't on that episode. And ever since you played it, Tim has talked about how he thinks that this would be really successful for me and it's just never gotten to the table. So I think it's time. Uh, in Viticulture, the players find themselves in the rules of people in a rustic, pre-modern Tuscany who have inherited meager vineyards. They have a few plots of land, an old crush pad, a tiny cellar, and three workers. They each have a dream of being the first to call their winery of true success. My favorite part of the description is, fortunately for the vineyard owners, people love to visit wineries, and it just so happens that many of those visitors are willing to help out around the vineyard when they visit, as long as you can assign a worker to take care of them.
0: Do you, are so, you just, when you do the description, are you just literally reading the description off BoardGameGeekTrend?
2: Some of them are, some of them are off the box, some of them are okay. off Amazon. <laughs> fair enough,
0: fair enough. Yeah, okay.
2: but yeah, that was my favorite part of the one that like, I want to go to a winery and then you just hang out and help out a little bit, right? This is totally based in reality, so let's play this game. So yeah, I mean, the sole reason that I liked, I want to play this one is it's been told that it's going to fit like what makes me happy about a game, and so again, like, it's point salad. Sounds awesome. Let's do it. The thing I'm worried about a little bit is I know that there's an auction component after reading about it a little bit. And that is the one piece like the turn order auction that we have discovered, especially in recent episodes that I'm not very good at it. So I guess I should probably work that muscle a little bit. But I am worried that if that piece, if I'm so terrible about it here, will it make me not like it as much as I could?
0: I wouldn't call that an an auction. The turn order choice mechanism is very simple choice. You just whoever's going first that turn gets to pick which bonus they want to get and then that sets their turnover for the coming round uh it's one of my favorite parts of the game and it doesn't feel like an auction at all i think you'll actually really like it i'm excited to see this on your list and i can't wait for you to convince danielle that she needs to play it with us so that we can get it played Because Danielle had the worst experience ever playing a game with this game several years back. And so she's committed to never touching it again. But I'm sure we can convince her past that. Let me set a stage for you here. Uh, This was several years ago. I was just starting to get into modern games. And I had a, a game couple that were really big into games. And so they brought a bunch of games over. And we had another couple come over. So it was six of us. The other couple wasn't really into games at all. And so we said, let's play a six-player game. And he brought over a bunch of party games and stuff. But I was like, no, nah, I'm getting into like these midweight euros. Let's play viticulture. So six people playing viticulture. Now the guy who brought it over was the worst game teacher I've ever played with. And so when we sat down with the six people, he literally opened up the rule book and read the rule book for viticulture to the group in order to teach it. So that took a good hour, especially since we had kids running in and out and interrupting the conversation and people having to get up to get drinks and food and stuff. We finally get to start playing. By that point, one of the women that was with us was completely hammered, so she didn't know what was going on. And then the other couple was completely disinterested in this game. So people were just taking random moves, and it turned into this 5-hour process. I was having a blast learning the game during that 5 hours. Everybody else hated the experience. So Daniel was like, "That's the worst game I've ever played." It in reality, it was the it was the you know the situation that created a bad experience there. I own this game now. I've had a ton of fun with it, and Jen, we got to get this played. I think you, me, and Daniel will like it. Really simple mechanisms with important decisions that are happening with it, and
3: um, I think it'd be fun for us. So, Tim, I love this game, and you've made me never want to play it again. <laughs> I know, right? It was—it was pretty awful.
2: I, you know, what's funny is you've told me that story before. And in my head, for some reason, the person that taught you the game was Chris. No. What?
3: <laughs> <laughs> you
2: start, when you started telling the story, no. I was like, Ooh.
3: I'm a great game teacher. <laughs> I learned everything I know
2: from him. <laughs> well, I mean this again, this was several years, like several years ago. So, I mean, I was like, oh, well, you know, Chris has come a long way.
3: I hope this means now I've gone up like five steps in your your eyes here. Or this something. is why Jen never wants to play games with Jeez. Chris. i was curious <laughs> about that.
2: You rank slightly <laughs> higher than your cats now, Chris.
1: <laughs> so uh, Jen, this is the game to relate this back to Zulkin, my encounter, which we just talked about. Chris was talking about how the passage of time kind of happens. And listening to that, this reminds me, you know, Zulkin reminds me of Viticulture here where... You have the different seasons changing and you have different options available to you and your wine kind of ages and gets more valuable as time goes on. So when you're talking about that, Chris and Sulkin, it made me think of viticulture, which I didn't say at the time, but I like that I, aspect of it. I didn't either. And it's funny you mentioned that
0: because just this week, Jamie Stegmaier released a little um, YouTube video, 10 Games That You Should Try If You Like Viticulture. And one of the games on the list was Zolkin. And mm. he said it was one of the inspirations for it in and, and the passage of time. So it's yeah. relevant. And by the way, John, we got to play Zolkin too. I think you'll like that game as well. All right. So my number three is Sleeping Gods by Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. Um, this is a game that's been out a little over a year. It's been on my radar the whole time. I considered backing it on Kickstarter. It's a solo or multiplayer co-op game. I don't really have any interest in playing a co-op. So this would be completely a solo experience for me. And I'm not so sure how it's going to go over with me. But the more I've heard about it, the more I'm really interested in checking it out. I've been kind of interested in playing a longer kind of campaign storytelling game and, and something that's a break from Euros. And so I'm, ex- I'm excited to try this one out. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes.
1: Tim, I've heard... I think a lot of people got their Kickstarter's in this, and I've heard there's a lot of secondary market action on this one. Have you looked at how much it's costing or how much it's going for right now, secondhand? No,
0: no, uh, and it is out of print temporarily. But I actually chatted with Red Raven. They may s- send me a review copy, but they were they were waiting until it came back in print, so it's not available yet. And I think they're just waiting for it to get shipped to their distribution center. So I bet once it's once it's shipped and available again to buy in retail. It'll we'll probably still be a little bit more normal, but that's one of the reasons why I asked for a review copy because I'm not sure I'm going to love it, but I do think it'd be an interesting one to talk about on the podcast and discuss, and so um
1: l- would like to give it a try. All right, uh, Adam, what's your number three? My number three is a game called Organism, which is not out yet, but the designer here is Ryan Spangler, and the publisher is Elephant Laboratories. Ryan Spangler did Soul, Last Days of a Star, and this game, Organism, has kind of a Microbiology theme to it. They say it's an abstract here, but you're really an emerging kind of, I don't know, single cell organism or a very basic organism, and you can all you can do is eat, grow, move, and there's one other action here. It's in capital letters, or circulate. So through these four actions, your little organism is going to grow and kind of evolve, and you're going to come into contact with other players' organisms and and then take some elements from them. And then once you have a certain amount of elements, then that ends the game. So it looks like a simple rule set of high interaction and a beautiful components. And these are just, you know, the preliminary pictures that are on board game geek now, but it looks like it's, you know, I'm hoping for big things. We'll see and watch how it develops, but that's Organism by Ryan Spengler.
0: Was this on? This was on Kickstarter already, wasn't it? Did you back this one, Adam?
1: I don't think it's been on Kickstarter yet. It was oh, planned okay. to be, you know, this quarter on Kickstarter. But okay. um, Ryan Spangler sends out updates every once in a while on Board Game gotcha. Geek and says, "Hey, well, you know, I want it to be just right. We're still doing some play testing and tweaking this and tweaking that. So it's coming up, presumably." soon but who knows. I
0: I heard about it quite a while back so that's why I assumed it was already put out there. Yeah and I really really did not like Soul which is the one reason why I'm like really hesitant about this game but it sounds kind of interesting.
1: Yeah and Soul for me was a game first time I tried it I was like huh but I've played it a few times since then and I really like that shared infrastructure and the the way those cards kind of work and the crescendoing aspect of the game and one guy barely escapes before the star explodes and his little faction is saved and onto the next star. So I don't. it's a game that got better with repeated plays for me. So,
0: All right, Chris, why don't you fill us in on your number two?
3: All right, my number two for this year is Radlands, designed by Daniel Pieschnik and published by Roxley Games. This is one that was introduced to me by one of our listeners, uh, board game Chatterbox, who also introduced, I think all three of us, to Welcome To which by default now means introduced Gen to welcome to. And that was one of the high spots of my gaming year. And so I figured I gotta take this recommendation seriously. And on top of that, the theme to this game just looks absolutely phenomenal. In terms of mechanics, it looks like a pretty standard dueling card game where your goal here is to protect three camps against your opponent and you're trying to destroy their three camps but the theme behind this game is so cool it's this mad max looking 80s you know 80s art it's it's adam it should adam you should love this this is that synth wave yeah. graphics and art yeah. in this game and it just looks so beautiful i just want to sit there and pull out the cards one by one and just look at all of the art on this thing and it'll bring me right back to the 80s but it sounds like from what chatterbox is saying that this game is a lot of fun to play the mechanisms look uh pretty fun to me the the art and the theme look absolutely fantastic and so i and this is also a relatively small investment as well being a card game this is also one that just delivered on kickstarter i think just a couple months ago so this is a brand new one and uh, i'd love to get my hands on a copy of that and give it a shot it's yeah the art is fantastic it's almost like a synth
1: punk kind of art or Mm -hmm. something with that 80s feel but steampunk kind of combined into an amazing amalgamation um so has chatterbox actually straight up recommended this one to you or have you just seen her the pictures pictures and stuff she's posted and and talked highly about or what put you over the edge for wanting to try this one
3: uh, she she let me know that she thought it's one that uh, I might like, and so I think that she's probably right about that. And I like I like card games. I mean, I know it's not a, a deck builder per se, but I like those kind of games. And I think this falls enough into that category that it's it's worth a shot. And I and I thought you'd like that one, Adam, because of the art on this thing. It just it just brings you right back.
1: I'm captivating. I can't wait to try this one as well. So uh, maybe more to come on that.
3: Yeah. Tim, we're talking about Radlands.
1: Any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, it doesn't sound that, it doesn't look that interesting to me. But I do like the art on it. Well, you're a
3: party pooper. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, it's a two-player game anyway. Adam and i and I'll play. Yep. There you go. <laughs> All right, Jen. What's your number two?
2: I was hoping that Tim wasn't going to be present for me re- releasing my number two, but I'll go ahead and uh, and ho- cross my fingers and, and brace for impact anyway. My number two is Katan. Woo, woo Awesome. Well, you're in a little bit of luck.
0: You're in a little bit of luck because Danielle actually likes Catan quite a bit. So I
1: would I think we could easily get this one played. Tim, control your enthusiasm up there, man.
2: <laughs> so I don't think I need to give a description. I mean, essentially what I'm saying is that this feels like a need and not a want. People call it the monopoly of strategy games for a reason. And you know, when I introduced the concept of board gaming to people that are either new people in my life or people that I haven't, you know, relationships that I, you know, we're talking about new topics. This is the board game that other people are most likely to know. And so out of the three people that I've kind of like expanded into those conversations in the last year, the, the three people that I've talked about board games with further than, you know, just surface level, all three of them had played Catan or were Catan players. And I didn't, I wasn't able to relate to that. And so I really feel like if I'm going to talk about board gaming, to kind of smooth that over into the other games, you know, the 50 or so games that I would want to talk about, then perhaps I should know, like, the baseline one where I have the biggest chance of other people knowing what it is that have done something beyond Sorry and, you know, Monopoly.
0: Yeah, you should, and you should. You might actually really like this game too. Uh, Catan, Catan's a pretty fun game. I played it with Chris, but the last time I played it was um, actually a little over a year ago. It was Adam the day that we played Eclipse for the first time. Do you remember that? And so that night I left that event and I got invited. It's a funny story. So I had this local guy who worked on my iPad and he saw that I had a Catan app on my iPad. So he hits me up after work and he goes, hey, you like Catan? He's like, I got a group that gets together every week to play Catan. And I was like, well, I'm into a lot of board games, but I like Catan just fine. I'll play it with you. So I go to his house and we play four games of Catan in a row, three of regular ones and then Game of Thrones Catan version. It was fine um, with them. It's like it's a lifestyle game where they are making, they're negotiating, and they're like, I mean, they know the game in and out. And we get to the end of the night, and I was like, so this is pretty fun. But have you guys tried any other modern games? And they're like, no, no, this is the best game. We don't want to play anything else. So it's kind of funny to see. You know how like some groups will just settle in on one specific game. But yeah, Catan's really popular and I think it is uh, I think it's something we can get played. You're a little out of luck, Jen in that I had a copy. It's been sitting at our Palm Springs house for a year and I just sold it with the house. You know, the, the people who bought the house took all the furniture and everything, and so I no longer have a copy of it. But And I
3: literally donated my copy to the Goodwill last weekend. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice.
2: That's okay. Catan Jr., I've heard, is coming into the house for Christmas, so maybe that'll just be my game of choice at that point in time.
0: I don't think it's anything alike, really, but I could be wrong about that. I've never played it. One other uh, thing that you might be interested in is that Catan actually has a similar mechanism to Space Base and that on your turn you roll dice and everybody else checks to see if they get benefits for the dice as well. So that is kind of a fun mechanism that you're always watching that that
1: rolling.
2: I love that part of Space Base. And yeah. I haven't found anyone except for those people that want to check their phones 24-7 that don't like that, that aspect of Space Base. So that's kind of neat.
1: Yeah,
0: it does make it, it keeps everybody engaged and I love that about it as well. All right, cool. Well, my number two, finally, I have a newer game on the list. Well, I guess I mentioned Rolling Realms, but Um, I've got a new hot game on the list right now. Um, It's really the only thing that's kind of on my radar, and that's a game called Arc Nova. Arc Nova is being published by Capstone Games, and this is a game about creating a zoo. It looks fun to me. It looks kind of like a blend of terraforming Mars, but where instead of a central board, you each have your own board that you're puzzling out the little cages, and there's a big stack of like 200 something different animal cards, each different animal species that you can purchase to put into your zoo. And I don't know, just something about the gameplay mechanisms just all feel like they'd fit really well to me. Might be a little too multiplayer solitaire. I'm willing to give it a shot. I think it looks like a lot of fun. I I think the production of it looks great. Um, I like the action selection mechanism here as well where there's basically five basic actions you can take on your turn and those are set up as cards in a little river in front of you and above each of those cards is a number one through five and each of those numbers kind of coordinates with an extra bonus you get when you take that action. So if you take the action in the four spot, you then just take it and put it down in the one spot and move all the other cards to the right. It incentivizes you to not keep taking the same action over and over again because you can get different bonuses depending on where the cards are in the row. So that type of little action puzzle is is always fun to me. And I just love the idea of building a zoo, looking at all these different animal species and the different traits they have. They all have little tags that trigger different bonuses. And then there's also an element of being able to do conservation projects. So in some cases, you'll even have animals that you'll release back into the wild for bonus points at the end of the game. So fun theme to me. Looks like a cool production. Looks like fun gameplay. So have any of you guys been paying attention to this game?
1: I've heard some things, heard similar that it's kind of like a terraforming Mars but with some twists, and the production does look amazing. That's about all I've heard about it, though.
3: This is actually one that I had looked at for my list as well, Tim. It does look like a pretty cool game. And I just I did I did see it is out on I
0: think Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator have mods of it, so this is a game I'd I'd love to play with you guys sometime soon if we can. The designer is Matthias Wig on that one.
1: All right, cool. Um, Adam, number two. My number two is a game from 2004, 2004 Some people call it. And it's called Reef Encounter. It's a game by Richard Breeze and published by R&D Games. It's severely out of print. In this game, I believe you are a parrotfish on a reef, eating different types of coral. And you're trying to increase your stock of these different types of coral, and collect them throughout the course of the game. The value of different corals or different elements change. They go up and down, largely based on what other players invest in. So it is kind of a stockish reef game, if that makes any sense. There's a bit of area majority, area control here too. So high interaction, a little bit of stock, a little bit of different twist. The theme is cool. This old school production looks a little lackluster to me. I don't know if there's any rumors of a reprint coming because it's very hard to find, from what I hear. But I've heard so many good things about this game from many, many different groups. What What's the name of this game again? now? That's Reef Encounter. Reef
0: Encounters. Okay, I saw. I was trying to look it up because there's a bunch of reef-based games, but that's
1: from 2004. Yeah, right, Reef, so Reef Encounters, encounter's an older, game. older, older game. Nice. Any Any guys heard of this one?
0: No, I'd never heard of it before. It's completely new for me. Boy, it doesn't. It looks pretty ugly.
3: It looks very <laughs> ugly. But for a lot of good things about it. Cool so, idea, though. Yeah
2: all right
0: sweet all right well i think we're around to our top picks the games that we most want to play which we know for adam is just going to be a mention of one of the games one of us already. maybe i don't know nothing that you guys (laughs) said yet has been nothing's exciting (laughs) you guys didn't really
3: inspire me after all gotta
0: find something quick rush to find your number one (laughs) all right uh chris what's your number one most anticipated game
3: my number one game this year is Golem, designed by Flaminia Persini, Virginio Gigli, and Simone Luciani, who incidentally is the designer of Sulkin. Published by Cranio Creations. There's a few reasons why I want to play this one. Uh, one of them, well, first of all, the thing that grabbed me was when I was browsing BGG one day and the box art on this thing It's this absolutely haunting and horrifying Face of a golem on the front of the box and I saw that and I'm going I got to check this out It doesn't appear that the the menacing art on the front has anything to do with sort of like the style of the gameplay or the theme I mean other than the fact that it is a is a golem face. This is a pretty Serious relatively heavy weight. I think it's rated at 3.89. So relatively heavy resource management game so the theme behind this one is a 16th century legend of the Golem of Prague. And that is a golem, for those unfamiliar, is a, an animated clay statue. And the Golem of Prague was created by a rabbi by legend that, to protect his people. That might suggest that this is a very aggressive an area control kind of game because it's got clay monsters, and but it, it doesn't appear to be that way. It's more about... Uh, gaining artifacts and learning magic and the golems are controlled by students to help them achieve those goals It's got this really interesting physical piece to it. It's a synagogue where almost like a dice tower You drop a handful of colored marbles in and the marbles go down into a number of slots and then the color of the marbles and the slots they go into Drive to some degree the things you're able to do and the benefits of those things as you proceed through your turn the combination of what I think sounds like a really interesting theme, the fact that it is designed by Simone Luciani, which I may not have thought of as a positive thing when we played Sulkin right at the start, but now having played a couple more games of it, I'm actually quite enthralled with it. That was a good recommendation. And uh, it appears to be pretty doing pretty well on BGG also. So it seems to be getting received very well. It's also a pretty new game. So it's one that I had not heard a lot about. But now I'm quite interested to try, so hopefully that's one that has some appeal to you guys as well. Maybe get it on the table for a board game night.
0: Yeah, I'd like to play this, Chris, and I would be happy to if you picked it. I think the little marble action selection mechanism is the most interesting to me. Otherwise, it it looks like a pretty traditional Euro as far as the board and the components and stuff like that, but that seems fun, so I'd love to give it a shot. All right, Jen. Number one, what's your number one most anticipated game?
2: You know, I don't know if I actually put them in the order of That's like fine. which one yeah. I wanted to play most, but I mean, I think this one it feels like probably the most chance of success, like being one that I actually do play and one that I do like. And it's Calico by Flatout Games, and you know, it has that artwork by yeah. Beth Sobel, so according to Board Game Geek. It, Calico is a puzzly tile laying game of quilts and cats. And so players complete to sew the coziest quilt as they collect and place patches of different colors and patterns. And so you're trying to do this beautiful quilt by laying hex tiles. And everyone knows that I'm a sucker for a hex tile. And then you get to put buttons on them. And if it's awesome and cozy, then your cat is gonna come and curl up on it. And I think that sounds kind of awesome. Cuddly and cats, um, the colors look great. I've been told it's so similar to Cascadia that it probably will not show up in person, but Cascadia was such an incredibly large win for me that I can't imagine not bringing a similar game in to at least play once, um, if not more, and still enjoy it just as much as with Cascadia simultaneously.
0: Yeah, Calico is a wonderful game. Me and Chris have played it and uh, we've talked about it in a couple episodes. We've never done a full review on it. Like, don't be wrong. The game looks cute. This is a mean, thinky game where you're going to be brain burning every turn, trying to make sure you don't put something in the wrong place and you're going to be stealing patches a quilt from other people just to mess up their whole plan you know Cascadia feels very gentle and relaxing and you're just kind of building out your thing Calico feels the opposite even though the mechanisms themselves are are pretty similar
2: well that's awesome so then as a person I'm not a cat person in the first place so maybe it does need that like edge on it right (laughs) and so in order for it to like really bring me back to earth they're like Jen you are terribly allergic to cats I just need you to remember that you are terribly allergic to cats no matter what they look like no matter how cute and cuddly they may be don't touch the cat
3: I got to second what Tim said, that this game is similar to Cascadia, but there are definitely differences. In fact, my wife, I think, prefers it. Having played bo- both of them a bunch now, my wife prefers Calico. And I don't think it's just because of the cats. I think it's because she likes that that edgy kind of, uh, you know, you're trying to squeeze these things into this spot. And, you know, Cascadia, you just expand out into the, the great... Pacific Northwest Wilds here, it's like you're trying to like make the best use of every little tile space. And if you screwed up, then you're completely hosed. And there's a very different kind of puzzle there. So I think you might if you like one, you'll probably like the other, but they're not the same game. Yeah,
0: John, this uh, I would play it anytime you should pick this one up, you know, just for something in rotation, since we already got Cascadia. I don't need both of them. But uh, it does feel it feels similar, but a little heavier. And I like that. So it makes me happy. I'm still, maybe I'm a little undecided as to which one I ultimately would like more. Uh, Right now, the edge goes to Cascadia just a little bit, but I think it's a great game. All right, my number one is a game from a few years back called Clans of Caledonia. The reason why this has come up on my radar lately, I've been playing a lot of Gaia Project, and Clans of Caledonia, Clans of Caledonia is supposed to be a very kind of similar implementation of Gaia Project. It's not an exact uh, implementation like Gaia Project was to Terra Mystica, but it is apparently using some of the same types of mechanisms. Also has an added kind of resource market, which is supposed to be very fun to it. And um, But, you know, just the link to, to Gaia Project makes me really want to try it out. Uh, some people like it more than Gaia Project as an alternative. The theme is not as interesting to me. It's uh, basically your you're, you know, trying to grow your clan in the Scottish Highlands. I've got enough Scottish Highland games at this point, but I, I really want to, I want to play it. I want to see how it feels compared to Gaia Project, if it does add on to that for me. But as much as I love Gaia Project, I don't really care, even if it's a, a similar type of feel. I, I think I'd have fun playing this one. Uh, this was designed by Juma al and published by Karma Games, it looks like. Uh, what about you guys? Any, Any interest in Clans of Caledonia?
1: So I will say, amongst the genre of Euro games that's like farming and animals and stuff, there's a unique sub-genre of that that's specifically Scotland, I feel like, yeah. for whatever reason. There's so many Scottish, do some sheep, do some other stuff, have a little clan, do your thing, that this one has kind of just slipped under my radar for that reason, because I see all these clans of Caledonia, fields of Arl, and highlands of farming, and whiskeys of the mountains and things and I just kind of they all pass right by me because it's not something I live for but I'd be more than willing to try this one out with you especially since this kind of Guy Project reemergence we're having via board game Maria. Yeah. Did you
2: say Whiskeys of the Mountains was one of those options for your imaginary games you're playing? Maybe I
1: meant Scotch Whiskey of the Mountains, yeah.
2: Yeah, it sounds like we're we're gonna have to play that one at some point in time. Or maybe that's our first collaborative game we're creating.
1: Right. I think that's Glenmore too, I think is what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. All
0: right, cool. Well, who, who knows? It, it's not a super exciting theme, so I don't know if it's going to drive me to get back to it.
1: But right now, I, I want to try it. I want to try it. We'll see if it happens. Adam, what's your number
3: one? Bring us home, Adam.
1: I'm shifting from Scotland over to Ireland. I couldn't. None of the games you guys mentioned got me super inspired, so I'm going to go with Brian Baru. This is a game I've talked about a bunch, and I've only played it by myself. This is a game of uh, area majority in Ireland ireland via they call it trick taking it's more of a hand management lead a card of this color are you gonna go higher than it or not if you don't go higher than it then i get this i get to put my little disc in this area of ireland and try to get majority of this region to get myself some points There's little roads in here you want to be able, you can block people out. If you put the conflicted city marker on one of the roads, it gives that person incentivized, uh, makes that person incentivized to try to gain that one or maybe not gain that one so they can build adjacent to. There's a lot of nuances and strategy here through this card play, trick-taking, so-called trick-taking mechanism, and I think it's going to be great at three or four players. That's Brian Baru, Osprey Games. Well, just like last year, Adam, your number one was a
0: cheat of a game that you'd already played but wanted to play more of, and it turned out to be one of our favorite games of the year. So I'm hoping that Brian Brew, you're, you're just as good at prognosticating on Brian Brew as you were on Dude Imperium from last year. We'll
3: Brian brew has got a lot of, lot to live up to. I'm hyping it up yeah. too much. It's probably going to fall
0: flat with everybody. <laughs> nah. I looked up just again yesterday when I was checking to see if Ark Nova was up on uh, Tabletop Simulator, and I checked again to see if Brian Brew is, because I do want to play this, and it's unfortunately not. It's so not there yet. I uh-uh. seen the publisher's fighting... Um, you know, not letting people put put it up there. So hopefully they'll get it on some platform soon that we can play online. John, this is a game that it has some trick taking in it, a little bit of area control. I think this would be fun for our group too. If we get a chance to play it, we'll see if it feels like it'll be a good hit for you guys. But this may be a game that just comes into my collection and I get to play without you, Adam, at some point if we don't get to do it online see how it goes
3: i'd love to know what brian brew would have thought kicking around in medieval ireland if he could have seen this right now and realized that he was going to be adam's number one most anticipated game of the year in 2022
1: he must have known surely that someone would make a board game about him when he was doing all this stuff back in ireland and that's probably why he did it that's probably why he did it
0: all right hey jen one question you uh, mentioned that you didn't put yours in a specific order which is your most anticipated game from your list would you say for this year
2: welcome to just because of the buzz okay. that you all have said about it and also because it's so familiar to the the roll and write that you know just tickled my fancy so much last time
0: cool all right. Well, I think uh, for you listeners, if you like our review episodes, this is a great opportunity for you to get a glimpse at what might be coming. Last year, we did end up reviewing a lot of the games that were on our top five list, uh, games of the year list, and so that might happen again this year. So let us know what you think. Uh, let us know if you are also excited about any of these games, and it might motivate us to get them reviewed even more. This is our last episode that we're releasing before the new year, so this will be released right after Christmas, but before the new year. So happy New Year's! Be safe. Have a have a wonderful New Year's uh, celebration this year. Hope you had a nice holiday. Thank you for joining us for a year of episodes. We've had a blast making it for you all and look forward to continuing into the new year. Until next week, take care, everybody.
3: Happy holidays, everyone. Happy New Year's to you in
1: 2022.
2: Thanks for listening.